the congregation cuz I start to aggravate My mind in space communicating with satellite stations Diarrhea thoughts, the shit's green, it's money green Chronic cough, phlegm, smell like kush Hello and welcome to another edition of the All Ball Cast. My name is Brian Stevens and with me as always the one, the only, the Bobby Buckets. Hey, what's going on, man? Bob, it's a little early, but I'm going to wish you a happy birthday. Happy birthday. Hey, thanks, buddy. I'm officially past my mid-30s, so it's a rough day. Welcome rough to the day club. For me. Welcome to the club. Hey, did you get that stripper gram I sent you? Uh, yes, it was very uh, disconcerting. <laughs> well, there, there was objects and fluids, and it was a whole whole thing. I bet you didn't know that a person could do that with ping pong balls. <laughs> There was some impressive distance. I'll, I'll I'll say that. So, man, you got to be feeling pretty good, right? Your your team is uh is is uh, kicking ass and taking names. You feeling good? Um, I mean, it's Toronto, and LeBron owns that team. I think there's still some mental issues there with Toronto. I don't know how you ever fix them without LeBron. You know, just not being LeBron going to the Western Conference. Let's uh let's get nerdy. Let's let's just jump into this. Let's start with that pot. I, so, I almost said that podcast, that series, because that series to me is like the least interesting. Going into it, um, my take was that there's no way that they could win this series. Toronto, that is. Uh, I've seen some pundits. I know Zach Lowe picked Toronto, which I think is just crazy. There's way you're way too smart to actually think that Toronto has a shot of beating LeBron and this Cavs team, um, but. You know, it, it it does help when LeBron and Jordan Clarkson and J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson actually show up to help LeBron and Kevin Love or and Kevin Love. That's what I meant. Yeah, Kevin Love and those guys, uh, for whatever reason, they just seem to play well against Toronto. And you know, it's Tr- Toronto's biggest advantage or one of their bigger advantages has been their depth. Their bench mob has been awesome, but if you're going to play LeBron 43, 44 minutes a night, well. As a bench mom going against LeBron, and that's significantly minimized. Yeah, right. And I think that's a that's a really good point. You can't if you're if you are Toronto, game one can't slip out of your hands that way. You can't lose that game. You know that you're probably. I mean, let's be honest. You're probably going to lose one of these first two games. And if LeBron plays the way he played in any game, the way he played in game two, you're just you're not going to win. You'd be lucky to keep it close within ten points, and obviously they didn't. On top of that, I, I kind of want to get into like some nerdier, some of the nerdier stuff though. Uh, you know the way they use Kevin Love in the uh, in the first half and much uh, much of the game is, I think, something that we all have been like waiting for them to use him um, instead of force feeding him balls into the post. Guess what? They did my favorite thing. They utilized the pinch post. They set screens. He caught jumpers in the lane, little hooks coming across the lane, layups. Uh, it was really that was it was really pretty basketball to watch. Honestly, you know my biggest knock on the Cavs is they haven't been fun to watch because they don't run offense. Normally, it's a, a very freewheeling, uh, freelance type of offense that they run, and I get I understand why they do that. That's what LeBron likes to do, and you know he's a really smart basketball player. He usually always makes the right decision. But in playoff time, when you can run an offense and you can run sets, you can see how effective it is because you're making the defense think and react and put them in, in positions they're not ready for. I just I loved the first the first eight or nine plays they ran. Yeah, it also helps when Toronto's throwing CJ Miles and Kevin Love. 
Yeah, I mean, but that happened in the second half. I'm talking more, I'm speaking more towards the first half of that game. In the first, like, 10 plays they ran, they, I mean, Kevin Love had 10 shots in the first quarter. Yeah, there there was a concerned effort to give him the ball, but it seems Toronto's defense also just plays right into what the Cavs wanted to do and want to do. Yeah, and I, you know what? Honestly, Dwayne Casey showed his cards in that in that game. Uh, this he is just not a good coach. I mean, he's a he's a he's a good coach, but he's not a, a championship caliber coach. You can't, yeah, you can't put CJ Miles and even Valanciunas. You're putting Valanciunas on Love. They're gonna pick and roll that to death. And that's what they did in the first half. And, like, the the, the big run that Cleveland went on, Valanciunas was out there. And, yeah, you can, he can kind of make you pay on the other end because you have to put love on him, and it's difficult. But, I mean, they were double-teaming him. LeBron was playing great off-the-ball defense. I uh, just – Toronto is a mess. And Serge Ibaka has just – he has not even been close to the player he, he was since he left Oklahoma City. And if you're going to get nothing from him – especially on the defensive end, there's just no way you can even win a game in this series. No, I mean, Toronto has a bevy of issues here. You mentioned Serge. Serge hasn't been the same. It's not since he left Oklahoma City. It's after he hurt his calf in the playoff series. He hasn't been the same player. And he was never a player that was a highly skilled player. He never had really any handle. Um, He was one of kind of what I would call like a fake stretch big man. Yeah. Yeah. Where he 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 shot a respectable number, but most of his shots were wide open. Uh, he doesn't have the quickest release on his shot, and you know it, it reminded me of kind of like Nurko Mirotic early in his Chicago career, where everybody thought he was a shooter, but he really wasn't. Yeah, um, Mirotic is just much more skilled, and now as he's aging and his athleticism has declined, um, that lack of skill, lack of ball him, lack of touch, lack of any really post moves. You see him and he looks like an Adonis, but really he, he, he's not this big, bruising, skilled power forward in the post. And he, he's just become unplayable. Um, so that contract looks looks terrible. And, and really what you see, I think, from Toronto is in the playoffs, you have to have wings. You have to have wings that can, can guard. There's not a single person on the team that has any chance of doing anything against LeBron. Even the Pacers with Boban had a large wing that knew how to defend properly right. and mobile bigs that would switch. And Toronto just doesn't have that. They have, they, they've been searching. Yeah. My, one of my favorite memes was uh, last year when they got P.J. Tucker and it was like the cartoon. It was like, guys, this is P.J. Tucker. He's our new LeBron stopper. And it's <laughs> yeah. P.J. Tucker walking up to LeBron going, hey, LeBron, please stop. Please, just stop. <laughs> it, it's really just what it is. Like, who on that team has a chance of guarding LeBron? And any time they do this stuff, you know, they, they try to go small, they try to go big. You know, he, he's just he's pounding on Siakam. Siakam just can't handle him physically. LeBron's too strong. You know, you can't put C.J. Miles on him. I mean, he, and Toronto's been through this. They went through the P.J. Tucker. They went through the Damari Carroll. This yeah, will fix it. Yeah, this right. will fix it. You know, Ananobi, he, he, he did a pretty serviceable job in game one. But what you saw was anything he brought on the defensive end it was he was a, a a complete negative on the offensive end did you see the three that he shot from the corner where he airballed it missed by like five feet and i'm, I'm not exaggerating he airballed it by five feet and you could deal with that if he's playing great defense but he's also a rookie yeah he made a lot of rookie mistakes too you know and, and that's I, I like og but you know he's a rookie and if, you, if that's your answer to beating lebron when he's still basically still in his prime, 
you're going to lose. And, you know, we looked at that Pacers series. The other thing the Pacers had that Toronto doesn't is just an indomitable star that was set on imposing his will in Oladipo. Yeah, right, right. You know, on the other end, he, this was somebody that could really impose his will when things broke down, when the Cavs rotations were slow. He was just attacking and constantly, you know, putting pressure on the Cavs defense. And DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry have disappeared. They're not that player. And Casey isn't, he doesn't run, he's not creative enough to take advantage of it. You know, Ty Lue gets a lot of knocks, but Ty Lue has made a lot of great adjustments throughout Honestly, throughout the last three years. Yeah, I think it's LeBron. LeBron LeBron made the adjustments. Sure, sure. Ty, Ty Lue doesn't do anything. Ty, Ty Lue's just, just there. He's just there. He looks like he's just there. He uh, does. I, but, I, I but, love the lost memes. Those are the best things in the world. But, I mean, it, it's you look at it, though. Everybody says that about Ty Lue, but you look at the playoffs. I don't think Ty Lue's a great regular season coach. He, he doesn't run these these. Um, brilliant, fluid offenses with tons of ball movements, like Terry Stotts does. He's not Brad Stevens. I don't. I don't want to mistake my uh, praise of him, but he makes really smart adjustments in the playoffs. He saves things for the playoffs. He doesn't show his hand too early. He comes up with clever defensive sets. You look at the way they're defending. Look at the adjustments he's made. In all, in all seriousness, though, how much do you think is that is LeBron? He made the statement after Game Seven where he was like, "You know, I just I decided that I wanted Tristan and um, and uh, my mind just went blank. Um, whoever else, I can, what, the, the, Jr. I wanted I wanted I wanted Tristan and Jr. in Game Seven with me because I know they'd been there before and I wanted to rely on their experience. Like, did he go to Coach Lou and say that? Or did did that just? I think I think anytime you have somebody like LeBron on your team, it's a partnership, and I think it really does a disservice to the cat to to his coaches and to you know their assistants and stuff to say it's all on LeBron. LeBron comes with everything. LeBron does everything. Oh sure, sure, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I agree I, with that, but I I, I I do think he doesn't like to be coached. I mean, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, but the, but that's a different story than saying that Ty Lue had Ty Lue has made smart adjustments. Sure, I think it's a and collaboration. Come up with great, I, think right. I don't think it's LeBron sitting here coming up with game plans every time. I think it's Ty Lue is putting in a lot of work. Ty Lue saves things on defense. And yes, Ty Lue plays into what LeBron wants to do, but, well, that's part of being LeBron's coach is yeah, LeBron's really smart. I guess my whole point was that... LeBron's know. not Kobe saying, I, I have to do this this way. LeBron's smart enough to realize what's going on I guess and what adjustments need to be made. I guess my point is there's, you know... Even if Ty Lue wanted to run an offense, there's no way that LeBron would let him run an offense. I, I mean, part of the reason that that he didn't want to play for Blatt was he he likes having an open feel for an offense. He likes spraying the floor with shooters. He's not going to run some kind of LeBron with four shooters. LeBron with a big yeah. and three shooters have proven. And and why wouldn't he want to? He keeps going to titles running that way. So you can either try to run your prints in offense, or you can coach LeBron and go to finals with him. It's knowing your personnel. That's where LeBron's best. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, we, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would imagine in Miami they ran a system. It seemed like they ran a system, especially on offense and defense. Um, but that's that's neither here, here, neither here nor there. Um, I do you think Toronto has a shot of winning a game in Cleveland? Yeah. Yeah, this, this Cavs team doesn't have their issues fixed. 
Yeah, I, I don't think they do either. I think a lot of pressure is off of Toronto when they leave Toronto, and I think they could still win too, but I don't see it going past five games. I don't, I don't see it going past five either, but honestly, with this Cavs team, not much would surprise me. Yeah, and that is that's kind of... But you look at these games that these guys were putting up, it's not like J.R. Smith is now going to be consistent. He has a season of inconsistency. These guys didn't have a rough playoff series against the Pacers. They've had rough years. Tristan Thompson's had a rough year. J.R. Smith's had a rough year. George Hill could easily just walk down the steps tomorrow and his big toe will fall off. <laughs> that is true. Or he could break his back just sitting in a chair. You never know with that guy. Every I mean, t- I mean be- between him and Kevin Love, those are two of the most consistent players. But right now, the most injury prone. LeBron Love is still dealing with his thumb. What if that gets re-aggravated? Somebody hits it. What if George Hill's back? I mean, he trying to play in game, what was it, five? He had four shots in three days trying to get his back to loosen up? Yeah, I mean, that's a real issue, honestly. Um for the Cavs, I think that's their biggest thing. the 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 biggest opponent for for the Cavs this this postseason, and I really do believe this is their injuries, their their age, and their their their, their injury injury proneness. I, I don't see a big test for them in the East. I, I just like no matter who they play next round, I'm I would favor the Cavs. I favor the Cavs in every round they've been in. I you know I picked them to win in in five. Uh, or I actually, I think I picked him to sweep Indiana, and you, you were a little bit more gracious. I think you said six, but um, I just, I, I just don't see any team in the East that's going to give them a significant amount of trouble once they got past Indiana. No, I mean, I, I still think Philadelphia could give them a lot of trouble because then you start going back to matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Brad Stevens, you know, with that Celtics team, is is giving the Sixers a ton of matchup issues and a ton of uh, just schematic he's just out coaching brett brown yeah i don't i i just praise ty Lue, but again ty Lue's not brad stevens um so i think if they, they play the sixers the sixers match up with them much better than they do boston you know you look at the athleticism on boston it ain't there with the Cavs. you don't have a terry Rozier or jalen right. brown or jason tatum just making plays not on athleticism and all of a sudden the sixers become the bigger faster team when they play basically anybody on the Cavs except LeBron. Yeah. And yeah. I think Boston honestly pre- presents challenges as well, just because I, besides LeBron, who do you really trust on this Cavs team? If you're going to ride and die with Jeff Green. And <laughs> We've ridden that boat before. I was a huge I, Jeff Green fan for a long time. I, I, Jeff Green's a guy that basically everybody in the NBA has, has been a big fan of at one point in his career. It's just how quickly did you get off that bandwagon? Because well, he looks the part. And he has games like he did last night where he plays amazing. And you but, saw you saw it in game one too. There were a lot of times. Anytime that they would they would set a down screen on on Jeff Green, and then they would run the the the, the other you know if, on the switch. They would run their that, that player towards the the hoop. He would just be totally lost on any back cut. He was lost. Help. He's a horrible help defender, and um he he's a much. He, I, I call I would call him the Marco Bellinelli of the Cavs because he dies on every screen that's set on him. Uh, him, Marco Bellinelli, and Kyrie are—they just you set a screen that it's—they're like I don't want to play this game, and uh, that's frustrating because he's there's no reason he's young, he's athletic, he's, he's healthy. He's not that young. I, I, how, how he looks he? really young. I, I actually I don't I guess I don't know how was he he's he's he was the he was drafted the same year as Russ is that right? No, he's older than Russ. He was definitely in one of those, um, one of the 
the years that the Thunder had two draft picks, I thought they took him fourth and Russ first, or maybe it was the Durant draft. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you're checking for us right now. Yeah, so Jeff Green on basketball reference. I'm going to say he's 29. Oh, it's not, not going to give me his age here, is it? Give me a second. No, let, let me get back here to Wikipedia. Wikipedia has that <laughs> shit. It'll never lay you down. I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess he's 29. He is 31 years old. Ah, I was off by two years. So it probably was the Durant. Then it was probably the Durant draft because he was a, a sophomore or junior when he came out. And I'm pretty sure he was like fourth overall. He was drafted in the 2007 NBA draft. So that was. You got to remember, he was. Yeah, he was drafted and then traded to Boston. And in that draft, it was Kevin Durant, Al Horford. Yeah. 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 And he was the fifth pick. Yeah. Four, uh, fifth. I said fourth. Okay. Yeah. So I, I remember. I know that he was. The Thunder had two picks in one of those drafts, and they drafted. Um, they had. They drafted Jeff Green and Kevin Durant. So. Anyways, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I but, but he's thirty one years old. This isn't a young guy. This isn't a guy playing through youthful mistakes. He's definitely down. He's on the downside of his career. And yeah, he if he hasn't learned by now, he's not never going to learn. Um, anything and, and else? You want, sorry, anything else you want to say about the Cavs and before you move no, on? No, I mean, I mean, you ride it while you can. It brings back a lot of emotion. You know, you, you see the those four guys up there at the podium actually having a good game. Yeah. Um, and as a Cavs fan, that's awesome. Those are the dudes that got you a title. I mean, they're missing the other dude, um, but you know, it, it's cool. It's cool to see those guys come back and play, especially when you know everybody that they got the trade deadline. Larry Nance is out of the rotation. Mm, yeah, Rodney Hood's out of the rotation. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson not not playing. Jordan Clarkson looks scared of the moment, and he's the guy I didn't think would ever be scared of anything. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, he, he looked like Kyle Lowry out there. Um, so let's uh, let's move on to the game that's on right now, Houston versus Utah. Um, I'm I've been really skeptical of Houston if they have the ability to make it through the West unscathed. Um, Minnesota didn't give them any real problems. They you know kept it close in game one, won a game in Minnesota, but other than that, they handled that pretty 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 decisively. Came out and blitzed Utah hardcore in that first game. Utah came back uh, game two. And um, gave a gutty performance. Huge game by Joe Ingles, um, which is funny. So I'm looking at NBA's net net um, rating of current starters in the current series right now. Joe Ingles is a net rating of 11.7. The only two players that are higher than him are Trevor Ariza and Andre Iguodala. Um, so I think a lot of that had to do with that last game. Um yeah, the other thing is it's small sample size, and you have games where LeBron's putting up his stats, and he's a plus two. Yeah, right. Because how go. many minutes he's playing? Yeah, but Joe, Joe Ingles ate Paul George's lunch. I mean, playoff P shriveled, and Joe Ingles just kept making buckets, man. Yeah, and he did the same thing uh, in Game Two against Houston. Um, I really like this Utah team. I love Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder might be my favorite coach in basketball right now because he looks like a Bond villain. And he <laughs> talks like one too. Um, I, I think this is ultimately probably going to go seven games, and I think Houston's probably going to end up pulling it out just because they have a more talented team. Um, is there any way that Utah could win this series? Yeah, I mean, if Chris Paul keeps dribbling the ball out of bounds and off his foot, I mean, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I kind of want them to choke it up just for the jokes. Because tw- Twitter will be, you know, <laughs> just on a fire with the James Harden and Chris Paul jokes if they, you know, choke this up to the Jazz. Jazz team starting a rookie and Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert and outscoring this team that's supposed to be the team that really gives Golden State the, the biggest challenge. Um, you know, right now they're up 17 on Utah. Um, Utah's a good team. You know, I think we've gotten a little spoiled these last couple years when you see Cleveland and Golden State losing one game in the playoffs combined. Right, yeah. You know, that's not the way the playoffs are supposed to be played. Um, typically. Right. Typically, even if you are a, a contender, even if you're going to the title, you're, you're going five, six games in the second round. Yeah. You're, you're, you're West, the conference finals are supposed to be six, seven game battles. You know, they're supposed to look like what Oklahoma city and golden state did when it went seven games. Um, that's what these playoffs are supposed to be. Not every team has a level of dominance that you know, Cleveland had last year when they were a great team and the East was weak or when Golden State just ran through everybody without even trying last year. That's the aberration. This is having teams lose home court advantage and gain it back is correct. I mean, Utah's a very, very good team. And Houston, as great as their offense is, isn't at the point where they shouldn't just never lose a playoff game. Right. It's just, yeah. you know, if this series goes six six games, it wouldn't surprise me. It, it would surprise me if Utah won, but, you know, it's not the most shocking thing in the world. I think the one thing that Utah um, does have kind of an advantage when it comes to uh, Houston is they don't have the pressure. I know that's not, you know, you, you can say all you want, like that's kind of a made-up thing or it's kind of like momentum. But I do believe that when you have nothing to lose, you can take chances. And I, I think that there is an opportunity for Chris Paul and, and James Harden and the rest of the team to tighten up a little bit. Andy Antoni as a coach, you know, they've – I, I think, and I think it's, it's a different type of pressure than just being the one seat. It's the same type of pressure that Toronto has. Yes, Yep. Toronto has the challenge of we got to play LeBron. Crap. Kyle Lowry's crapping the bed. We keep crapping out the second round of these playoffs. And Houston's the same way. It's Chris Paul and James Harden. It's not that they were the one seed that's the pressure. It's the fact that we've never made the, the conference finals. Yeah. Either yeah. of us. Right. Yeah. And, and the same thing with D'Antoni. He's never been to the finals. And he's had all these great regular season teams. And he's trying to prove his worth. And I, I just think that overall that's a lot of pressure to put on a team that really shouldn't have this pressure because – this is the first team this team's been together, you know. Um, this is th- this is. Uh, I think they're, you know, they've played really well, and I don't, I, I don't think they're going to beat Golden State, but I, I, that should be one hell of a series if they can get by Utah. I, which, and I, like I said, I expect they they, they do. But as I, a basketball fan, you know, I want them to to win because I think I want to see Golden State play a really tough team. I don't think anybody out of the East is going to challenge Golden State. I don't care which one of these teams goes. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario is a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, I agree. You know, so you look at the playoffs. I don't. I mean, they they lost tonight to the Pelicans, but I think that's just Anthony Davis and those guys are going to get a game or two. That Anthony Davis is too good right now to be swept. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, his game tonight, and and, 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 and we'll, yeah, well, we can get to that one next. But I mean, it's not. No, nobody really thinks that New Orleans has a chance to, to win that series. No, and and I. I I love this Utah team. I, I have 
for a while now. I didn't think they'd be this good. Um, but then again, I didn't think Donovan Mitchell would be this good. Um, Donovan Mitchell hasn't let up. He he is something else. You know, his sheer his sheer will. You know, to just lay it all on the on on the line. You know, he can go six for twenty one, but he's not going to stop shooting and he's not going to stop playing hard. And, and he's not just a gunner. He distributes no. the ball. He yeah. plays defense. My, my favorite was when he that tip back dunk. He said, "Well, I was up there, so I figured I might as well flush it." <laughs> Yeah, right. I was going to come down. I was going to come down with it, but I realized I was already up there, so exactly. I saved myself a jump. Right. Like exactly that low athleticism. He reminds me of a, of D Wade. He, he reminds does. me a lot of D Wade. And there was those comps coming out. I mean, a lot of people compared him to to D Wade, and uh, but his shot has been a lot better than people thought um, in the regular season. You know, he struggled a little bit um, in the playoffs, but that's. That's, I mean, that's what you expect. He's a rookie. Shooting better than Ben Simmons, man. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that next. But um, actually, we'll save that for that series for last. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, I, you know, I really appreciate what Utah's done here, and I think that they're building on the future. And if they can continue to develop these guys, Dante Exum, ha- as long as that guy can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a really good player uh, off the bench for a long time. And um, he, he's one of those guys where you just really want him to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if he does, I could see him having a Sean Livingston career. Yeah, I totally agree. He, you know, maybe he doesn't live up to his draft hype, but he ends up being in the career. His last 10 years are better than his first five. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, by totally far, agree. even though his, uh, you just look at his athleticism, the way he can play defense and things like that, it'd be interesting to see if he can really carve out a niche, whether it's Sean Livingston or even somebody like a, a Luke Mabata-Mute yeah. or um, the guy up in um, Alfred Camino. You know, those guys that got drafted really high, never lived up to what they should have been, but end up being really great defenders, role players, three and D, elite 3 and D guys. And the next thing you know, they're in the league for 15 years. You know, I, here's a question for you. And I, the way that I – so Clint Capella has kind of really turned into being that third scoring option. And a lot of it is, is the is the defense dives down on the, on the pick and roll and he's – Left open for the lob, or where he gets in the good perfect position. compliment. Yeah, gets in a good pos- position. Um, I'm a little surprised that it's worked so well with Rudy Gobert in the series. But one thing I've really noticed about Gobert is, as good as he is defensively and being in the right position, he his athleticism lets him down, and uh, you know he works. Really hard and pick and rolls, and I just wonder how long for the league he's going to be. Because the moment that his athleticism slips a little bit past where it is now, he's going to have some real problems in pick and roll. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's the case with a lot of the guys that really aren't aren't super skilled, but they're the athletic rim runners. Tyson Chandler could only last so long doing that, you know, and he was elite for a long time. But he started to get hurt. It went, man. When it goes like that, when you don't have any shot, you don't really. You're relying really just on athleticism and having some good hands and a soft touch. It can only go so far. Uh, what do you think uh, about the resurgence of Derek Favors? I love Derek Favors. I'm I'm glad Derek Favors is back. I think he's been underrated for a long time. Um, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad he's finally healthy. He's another guy where he had elite elite athleticism. Mm-hmm. And just injuries have plagued him. Minor injuries. He missed. He missed. What was it, about twenty, thirty games at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's really been a struggle for, uh, for, 
for him most of his career but anytime he's logged minutes he, uh, he he's he's got a he's got an old school style game where he, he can play with his back to the basket and he's gonna bang for you um he's not a horrible defender either um he kind of gets he's lost. a really i think he's a good defender and when his athleticism was there he allowed utah to play big but he was athletic enough to guard it um the opposing team when they went small and that's kind of been an advantage in this series too, is they haven't had to really take him out of the game too much. Um, and it, like I, one of the thing, one ways that the Houston kills you is they just get a mismatch and they eat it up all day. And that's something they haven't been able to exploit too much in this series. Yeah, I have a question for you, on Derek Favors. How old is Derek Favors? Oh man, I would. Is he twenty seven? Derek Favors is only twenty six years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's. I mean, Derek Favors was traded for Darren Williams when Darren Williams was good. Wow, and he's still only twenty six years old. They, I mean, and and the thing is, Utah was shopping him last year. They tried to they tried hard to get rid of him. And uh, I, don't believe, I believe he's on the market this year. But again, it, it's a it's a timing thing. If yeah, he's not healthy. It's hard to trade him. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it, I think they're they're probably happy they didn't now. He's he's putting in some minutes. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Golden State New Orleans. Um, uh, this series we, we kind of talked about briefly. Um, New Orleans pulled out a pretty large victory tonight, mostly on the back of Anthony Davis. He had thirty three points, eighteen rebounds. Rondo had twenty one assists. Um, How many of Rondo's twenty one assists were actually assists? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I, wa- I watched the game and I, he, there were. I mean. Uh, he, he got a home whistle a couple times. Uh, but say half, half of those assists <laughs> or, or assists. Now, now we sound like Jeff Van Gundy just trying to suck the fun out of everything. Yeah, right there. Yeah, there you go. Um, now I, I just th- this was the game. I mean, it, you kind of figured if New Orleans was going to win a game, it was going to have to be the first game at home. Um, you know, Durant didn't shoot well. Curry didn't shoot well. Clay shot all right, particularly in the first half. Um, but Draymond was awful on defense, getting lost on pick and rolls, miscommunications. There was tons of back doors in that first half. But, uh, you know, I don't know exactly who's, you know, Green and Thompson were kind of looking at each other a lot of times. Um, they were yelling at Durant at one point, yelled over the, over, you could hear him yell at JaVel McGee, play defense. And I don't know how much that of that is, is McGee's St- fault. Steve, Steve Kerr also rolled out some weird lineups tonight. It, it, he doesn't seem to really the death lineup doesn't seem to be as playable or at least he's not playing it for as many minutes and when it's not the death lineup you know it, it, he just seems to be struggling and it's, I think it's led to a lot of inconsistency with their team not having that fifth guy out there because he doesn't want to run the death lineup with Iguodala and their bigs or even their depth is just leaves a lot of inconsistency I don't think it's going to hurt them losing series but when you're when you're saying I'm going to have to roll out JaVel McGee, or he'll roll out Nick Young. Nick Young started some playoff games this year. It mm-hmm. leads to, to a lot of malaise, it seems like. And, I mean, they just got killed on the boards tonight. They got out-rebounded by 10, 10 rebounds, and I, you know, I don't know. I, it's, a part of me is, like, maybe you need to put Pachuya in as a starter, like we did, you know, most of, most of the year last year and most of the playoffs, just to kind of rough up AD a little bit and make things a little uncomfortable because that's not something JaVale McGee is going to do. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, maybe you just let AD go off and you try to 
Maybe it's more Kevon Looney. I, I don't know. But I, I don't know if it really matters, ultimately, in this series. But this Golden State team just doesn't seem to be really locked in night in, night out. It's like around the playoffs, and they're just still just like, you know what? We're going to take this game off. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I, it, it's fine. We're, Curry's still fine in his legs. It, it's fine. And the, the, the thing is, like, their, their offense was just – it was not pleasant to watch. They – you know, Draymond Green had seven turnovers. They had 17 turnovers in the game. I mean, they were not protecting the ball. You know, it, it's just, it was one of those games where uh, there, you just felt there was no way that, that New Orleans was going to lose this game because Anthony Davis and Rondo and Miritich, and oh, by the way, Ian Clark were just balling. They weren't fit. They, you know, they, 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 they shot 50% from three. And. But I don't. I just can't see them keeping that up. I don't think. I don't. I just can't see New Orleans winning another game in the series. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't think they will. But it wouldn't surprise me if the series goes six. Because I mean, I don't put it past Golden State to have another really sloppy, lazy game. And the question is: This the Anthony Davis game, or do we have another Anthony Davis game coming? Does Anthony Davis have a forty-eight twenty-nine game in him? It's possible. That's I, that's for I, sure. If if they if they win another game because Anthony Davis has a Anthony Davis game, would, would that shock you? No, no, you're right. I, I mean, it, it, what the only real shocking outcome in this series would be if they actually made it a series. Yeah. If, it went, if they were ever on a playoff, you know, if this game went seven, that's yeah. the only way it really shocked me. Besides that, it just seemed to go on state. It's kind of like that. Eh. It, it, it's, it's it's one of those odd things where these games have kind of been fun to watch. Yeah. But at the same time, I, who cares? Yeah, you never felt like you never felt like honestly that Golden State was in this game, and you never felt like New Orleans, New Orleans was in the, in the first two games. You're right; these these games have been a lot of fun to watch because there was a lots of great execution. Um, I mean, but, Drew Holiday's Drew Holiday. You know, you can't give him enough credit. But you know, even this game is like, why do I care that Golden State lost when it doesn't look like they really care? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good. That's a great way to put it. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of takes the. Uh, yeah. The wind out of the sails to use the, the old euphemism. Yeah. No. You. You. You make. You make a very valid point. Um. All right. Let's talk about probably, in my opinion, the most interesting series and probably the best series out of out of the four, and that's Philly and Boston. First two games were tons of fun. Um. Very interesting. Uh, coaching matchup here. You have uh, Brad Stevens, a young guy. Brett Brown has been around the league for a long time, has or, you know been around basketball for a long time, I should say. He's coached overseas, head coached uh, two two teams overseas, been an assistant here in in the states. He's been there for the process the whole time, and uh, this team was the favorite to win the East after the first round. Um, and Brad Stevens and Boston was like, "Hey guys, remember us?" And uh, put together a really interesting game plan. Uh, what do you think of the way that they played uh, Ben Simmons? Uh, I, obviously, it's working. I, I don't think they're doing anything too crazy, but Philadelphia just has not reacted. They they haven't countered anything that Boston's done with Simmons. They're, they're playing off him so much, and he's not. They're not using all that space to say, "Oh." I mean, something very simple they can do is, you know, do a dribble handoff and let Simmons set a screen on a shooter and make Horford come up and use all that space. They have Redick. They have Bellano. They have guys that can shoot off the dribble, shoot off the move. 
shoot with very little space. They're not doing that. And then Ben Simmons isn't attacking space. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when they're they're in a all season, we saw this extremely aggressive guy, and you know, somebody that could really dominate in the post, and he's not doing that either. You know, when they when they do get switches, he he's not taking advantage of anything, and. At the end of the day, it made sense that Philadelphia just had to sit him down because they're worse with him out there. You know, one thing that really bothered me about him is he, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he cannot play basketball. And it's very obvious, like you mentioned, if you're going to play five, eight feet off of a player and dare them to shoot the ball, and they're just refusing to shoot, you can't have them on the court. You at least can't have the ball in their hands. So, if, what, if you do have the ball in their hands and they're refusing to shoot they have to be willing to attack that space or you have to be willing to devise a game plan that attacks that space and takes advantage of what the defense is doing. Yeah. And they're not, he's just standing there. What I would love to, for them to do is something like, I mean, like what you mentioned, I think is a, is a, is a very wise game plan, but also why not use him as a down screener for Redick or for uh, Bellinelli or Sarge, any of those three-point shooters, have him off the ball, use him as a down screener. When the switch comes, post him up because he can finish around the basket. It's just At this point, it's just getting to the basket without help coming because that's what's happening. There's so much space when he tried to attack the basket, you know, and they've just smothered him with Horford and Morris and some of their bigger players. And now that Jalen Brown's back, I imagine we're going to see some of him on, on him. So that's one thing that Boston has is length, and that's obviously bothered Ben Simmons. So I mean, uh, they listen. It's, it's it's length, and they're smart. They're in the right spots. Mm-hmm. They have really smart defenders. They, you know, Baines is limited. Horford is just always in the right spot. You know, Marcus Smart has been up beast on defense just an annoying beast and really one of those few guys that really i mean you see him in their body and afraid of nobody and, and he's built hit, like a fire hydrant he's hit some big threes too They're yeah that, I, don't, I don't know how long that'll continue but i mean aaron baines is hitting threes marcus smart is hitting threes i don't know what what's what's going on there but one thing i think that you have to do if you're philly too uh, is you have to spread the floor if if Ben Simmons is on, on the on the court and you're not going to play him in the post, then you're gonna then the the, the floor is not going to be spaced because they're playing so far off him. They can double on any kind of back cut or any kind of ball rotation is just too easy. So Brett Brown's job is to figure out a way, like you like you mentioned, I like that idea, a, a handoff with a pick because then all of a sudden whoever's guarding whether it's Horford or Tatum they're going to have to cover a lot of space to get to Redick or get to Bellinelli or Sarik or Covington whoever's shooting the ball and then on the defensive side i i really i i honestly i think that Phillies played fine i just think that Boston's hit their threes and what are you going to do if they're hitting the shots like they the, you can't beat them. I mean, you're going to have to live with Marcus Smart and Aaron Baines shooting shots. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. If that's the that's that's the hill you die on. That's the hill you die on. But I don't, I don't think that Philadelphia's also done a great job offensively, and that's the other thing that stuck out to me. I love Joel Embiid, but any time in this series when he is just kind of playing around and shooting these, you know, th- he's not a great three point shooter. Yeah, you're right. And he's, he's when, when he's shoot, when, and when he's shooting threes because they're leaving him open, that's a win. 
what did he shoot this year? Was it like 28, 29 percent? It was, like yeah, that? it was around 30 percent. I don't know the exact number, but it's... That, that's a win. If I'm Boston, Boston, what I'd rather have have happen. Joel Embiid taking a long three, maybe a 28, 30 percent shot. And also he's their best rebounder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's you know, another good point. Yeah. Versus him actually attacking the basket, getting somebody in foul trouble. You know, when he went to the post, he's he's damn near impossible. He was beasting everybody. And then he wants to take these threes. And it's like, well, th- and that's feeding their comeback. Because Boston's also a team, when they get that long rebound, they go. When they have Tatum and they have Smart and they have Brown on the court, they run. Yeah. That's what they do when they attack. And that was leading them into a lot of that attack threes. That's where they were getting the three on twos and the two on one fast breaks. A lot of the time that wasn't just off of uh, steals, but it was off of long rebounds and them pushing in that setting. Yeah, he shot 31% from the, from the three this year. Um, and But like you said, that's not – I mean, you, you'll take that shot every time. Let him shoot that. You'd rather have him that, uh, doing that than pounding in the post and getting Horford or Baines or, or Morris or whoever's on him in foul trouble. And I'd rather have him shooting it than the alternatives. I'd yeah. rather him sh- shooting it than Bellinelli or – Saric or, or Covington or Redick. Especially or, Redick. Yeah, or McConnell like – I mean, uh, I can't say enough too about TJ McConnell. The way he played in that game, I mean, he just he played his heart out. It was kind of fun to watch him run around because the rest of the, of the Sixers, outside of of Redick, just kind of looked scared and lost a little bit. Um, and I guess you know, that's again, you know, we talk about Utah. Philly's a young team, man. This is their first experience in the playoffs. These games are going to happen. And that's a that's the big advantage for having having Al Horford on your team, having uh, Marcus Morris on your team, having Jalen Brown who went deep in the playoffs last year and got big PT, and having Terry Reserve, Terry, Terry Rozier, <laughs> scary, scary Terry, Terry, scary Terry play like Kyrie. Yeah, yeah. You know when when he's when Kyrie went down, that was supposed to be a big hole, and it he didn't replace Kyrie. But Terry Rozier has been just amazing. Terry Rozier is playing himself into a hell of a contract. Honestly, he's been about 80% of what Kyrie was, and that's all you could have asked for him. I mean, that was – That's, that's more than you could have asked for any yeah. type of backup. Anybody that's playing that well. You know, this last game, Terry Rozier went 4 of 9 on three-pointers. And they were big shots too. He had two big threes in the fourth quarter that – and he barely missed another one, which which it was in and out. And, you know, uh, yeah, I Man, I so, so last game Joel Embiid went one of six on three pointers. Yeah, yeah, you'll live with that all day. I mean, yeah, Embiid can't. You're right. He cannot settle for those shots. Uh, he, I just it. I, I, it's one of those where it's like, oh, it's cool. Our seven foot elite center is shooting threes because he can stretch the floor, but it only really works if he hits some of them. But more, but that's the result. The process should be that works if it's in service of Ben Simmons being able to attack or right. space the floor. Yep. If that's not happening, great. I'll I'll roll those dice that dice every day, and I mean, and that really killed a lot of their momentum. That helped give up that big, big lead. I and agree. It seemed like he was like, well, if they're, they're hitting three, so I have to hit a three. When really, this is one of the few times where it's like, don't want to be the old man, but. Big fella, get down in the post, clear some space, take up some clock, and get two points. Mm-hmm. And Just you know, you know put what? A plug on the bleeding. And you know what? I, 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 you don't see a lot from Embiid, and I'm sure he'll learn this. You know, he's he's still 
freaking young. It, and I actually would like to see Ben Simmons do this a lot too. When they get out and run, no, those players don't rim run. Get like if Embiid gets to the front of the rim and gets his defender behind him, or gets into a position where you get to a law pass. Who is going to stop that? You're either going to have to foul him or give up the two points. But he 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 plays too much like a guard, and he'll run to the elbow or he'll run to the wing, and or he'll catch the ball and he'll face up. And I'm just like, dude, you're seven foot and seven feet wide. What are you doing? Uh, it's just it's frustrating sometimes because he could be a Shaq level dominant center right now. Yeah, and and what you see of him is just a lot of inconsistency in this game. Yeah, and it's part of being young, and this that's it's part of being young. Just kind of the way he plays, though. You know, he's doing those turnaround, fade away, and they're amazing shots. Oh, super high level of skill. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you know. I'd I'd much rather see him just bruising in the paint. Yeah, I wonder. He's so much. He's so much bigger than everybody else, and he he sometimes seems to fall in love with the finesse part of his game instead of just being the the freak that he is you you wonder how much that mask has to do with it i wonder if there's some tentativeness to get hit in the post i mean i don't know i, I mean and they do have like, you know, aaron baines is strong and al horford is super smart and, yeah. a, and a really good defender i have a stat for you. this is my stat though okay the game they lost to the celtics 103-108 where they blew the 20 point lead yeah ben simmons was a negative 23 points holy shit in 31 minutes. TJ McConnell in 17 minutes was a plus 16. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, there I mean there I think during the regular yeah, season. Yeah, there's I a think... lot of stuff there, but you know, you switch five of those minutes, you cut Ben Simmons minutes back by five, throw them to TJ McConnell, they probably win that game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Just I mean, just because you can't play defense the same way. I mean, it's just we wondered, I, this is something we talked about. At the beginning of the playoffs, you and I, I think we probably talked about it on the podcast, you know, Ben Simmons, nobody has been able to defend him even by playing off him. Who will be able to do it? Will it be Brad Stevens that's going to come up with it? Will it be Ty Lue and, and LeBron James? Who is going to figure out how to play Ben Simmons? And we've we've saw it's Brad Stevens. He figured it out. Now it's Brent Brown's job and Ben Simmons' job to put together an offensive game plan that makes their offense work. And make Boston adjust. Yeah, you know, I know, I know some some of the stuff. Burt Brown's not a dumb guy, but you know they have Horford on them, so they're switching on screens. Mm-hmm. Well, screen with a guard. Yeah, don't screen with big. You know, some of the stuff I think they'll figure out, but it's kind of surprising they didn't make adjustments yet. Yeah, you're right. It is, especially at some point halfway. And, you know, we've seen this a lot, and I think that a lot of this comes down to experience, and a lot of it comes down to coaching. But teams that make adjustments in the playoffs are teams that win. You know. um, You can't coach the same way. You can't have the same level of respect. I mean, and and that's something. What is Brett Brown coaching for? Ben Simmons should have been pulled pulled from that game earlier he shouldn't have played 31 minutes he was playing too bad to be playing 31 minutes mm-hmm. but at the same time you, he needs to get those reps yeah yeah it's a double-edged sword you're right you're definitely right so who do you let's start wrapping this up who who do you think uh wins that series i mean i, mean, I think it's gonna be boston it's gonna be really difficult i think for philadelphia to come back in and win four of six four of uh five games 
Yeah. I mean, and they've, they've pigeonholed themselves so far right now by, by, by losing that game. You know, coming back from a 2-0 hole when they don't have home court advantage. Right. Yeah. You know, now, granted, you can always make the case that a series doesn't start until the home court team loses. So let, let, let's see what happens here. But the way that they've looked and the way that they've seen to have played, I mean, that last game is, is a killer because you had a all-time great start of a game, you know. Mm-hmm. You blew that huge lead. I don't know what that does to their structure, to their, to their psychology. And then you look at, like, Redick. He had a great game. You blew a great Redick game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds simplistic, but, you know, they really had to figure out, ben, get Ben Simmons going. The answer, the answer to winning the series isn't more T.J. McConnell. No, you're right. I agree. Yep. And I, I, I don't know. I think Philadelphia is just. A, it, I feel like that there's more talent there. I feel like there's more, uh, more depth. Um, I, I just don't have confidence in this Boston team. I have confidence in Brad Brad Stevens. That's about all I have confidence in. Um, I, I still think Philly's going to win the series. I, I think it could go seven, for sure. Um, it's just, it's tough to imagine them winning a game seven in in Boston though. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I I it's it blows my mind that 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 Boston is playing this well. And uh, but but what you see, you know, you you watch some of it in like the Ben Simmons. You you seen the GIF where they're sagging completely off of me. Has nowhere to go in the to drive to because there's three uh, Boston players in the paint. Yeah, and and that's because you know. Ben Simmons at this point really needs to play like LeBron. He needs to play with four shooters. And they don't have four shooters. They have one and a half shooters. You know, Joel Embiid is, is posted up at the three-point line waiting for, you know. Well, Aaron Baines is in the paint. He has a foot in the paint. Right, yeah, yeah. Because, again, if he shoots that shot, that's a win. You know, Sark's trying to post up, but well, Horford's standing in between the two of them. So even if he makes a great pass, he's double-teamed. So Sarch is a pretty good shooter. Bellinelli's a pretty good shooter. Covington's decent and Redick. So do you think or Ilyasova? I mean, the, the problem is that takes him beat out of the game. Yeah, but you look when when Phoenix was they they have to do a better job of you know taking advantage of when Embiid's out of the game. They won another huge winning streak when Embiid got hurt. Yeah, that's true. They, they play they played a different pace when he was hurt. It was a you know this really fluid. We're going to play five guys that are basically interchangeable and a super aggressive attacking style. And sometimes it seems like Embiid almost takes them out of that. It's like we got to feed him. we got to get him going. And everybody kind of watches. Right. And they're not good enough to watch. The other thing is you talk about, oh, the I say they should play like LeBron when he's surrounded by shooters. But LeBron had J.R. Smith. LeBron had Kevin Love. LeBron had Kyrie Irving. Those aren't just shooters. Those are, you know, the best shooting power forward in the game, one of the best two-point shooters in the game. The yeah. best, one of the best shooting, you know, he's up there with Dame and not he's not Steph Curry, but he's in that next tier with maybe two or three other guys as far as a, a shooter goes. Yeah. That, that's not, like we just said, oh, it's it's Covington, he's an okay shooter, and it's Sark, and he's an okay, they, you're starting with a bunch of okay shooters. Um, And obviously LeBron had a much, much better jump shot than he does at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing too. And so you're you're really relying on Brett Brown to come up with. You have to game plan for it though. You have to come up with a counter to it. And they, they don't seem to have done anything with it except let him try to figure it out. And it's just 
Right, great. I'll drive into four guys. That's awesome. That seems like a good plan. Yeah. No, I, I, and I, I really don't know the answer. Uh, and hopefully Brett Brown does. I, I think that we've came up with some pretty good ideas and I, hopefully Brett Brown is running something similar to that around because hire me for the Milwaukee job. I'm yeah. available. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, Bob, I want to leave you on a little bit of trivia. So I, I was just doing some homework today on, on, on the NBA, just a few different things that I, I saw. And, uh, do, do you know the history of pop in San Antonio? Do you know that history very well? You mean like he was there? So how he got the coaching job. Do you know how he got the coaching job? Uh, Kind of, not really. All right, so for our listeners, I'm going to give you some education. So this blew my mind. Imagine this happening in 2018 NBA. Ready? So Greg Popovich is a Larry Brown disciple. Larry Brown was coaching San Antonio. R.C. Buford was on the staff, and um, you know a couple of her other from the Brown coaching tree, and they all got fired. They all got everybody got just kicked out. So Pop went and uh, he he went to Golden State and was with um um oh my God my mind just went blank the uh, the Nelly Don Nelson he was he was there in Golden State for that a little bit and. Uh, then he got hired back in 1994 by San Antonio as their GM. And uh, that, David Robinson got hurt early on in, 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 the, in the next season. And do you know what Pop did as GM? Greg Popovich. GM Greg Popovich. He fired his head coach and took over as head coach. That's right. I remember that now. And relinquished his GM duties to R.C. Buford. Uh and ever since then, Greg Popovich has been the coach of the San Antonio Spurs. What a mother effing coup from Greg Popovich. Guy had never coached a basketball game. He had never been a head coach on any level. And uh, became GM and said, I don't really want this job. I want to be head coach. So I'm I can do that job myself. better than anybody else in the world. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, I'm going to hire myself. Uh, so uh, I got some breaking news here for you. Yeah. Fire away. We're talking about Utah, you know, that the Utah Jazz game has reached a half halftime of Game Three, and the Rockets have a thirty-point lead. They are up wow. seventy to forty. Wow. So I'm guessing they've hit a ton of threes. Is my guess. Eight for twenty-one from three. They're shooting fifty-eight percent from the field. Eric Gordon, seventeen points. In the first half, James Harden only has ten points. Yeah, uh, but, he's, but he's four of eight. I mean, they're shooting sixty percent from the field. Uh, James Harden is a plus twenty-five in eighteen minutes. Clint Capella is a plus thirty in nineteen <laughs> minutes. Trevor Ariza is a plus thirty in eighteen minutes. Eric Gordon is plus twenty-five in sixteen minutes. Well, you know, the good news is, Bob, I don't have to watch this game now. That's yeah, the good so, news. And, and that's the thing with Houston. There's some variance there. But when this team gets rolling, holy shit. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, Eric Gordon is 3 for 5 from 3. Trevor Rezia, 2 from 3. So they're, they're 8 for 21, and Paul and Harden are 1 for 8. Yeah. 
Uh, Donovan Mitchell is one for ten for two points and a negative twenty nine in nineteen minutes. Wow, that's that's rough. But I mean, that's what you have when you have a young team. You gotta li- you live with it, you die with it. I mean, you know, and this is on their home court, and obviously, I think they get a lot of times these home court is almost a disadvantage with with younger teams because you get so hyped and you can't slow down. Yeah, and you get a veteran team like Houston that just thrives on it. Yeah, right. Killing well, that crowd. But well, uh, yeah, that, that uh, that's the Houston tight team we've been waiting for. Yeah, we haven't really saw it in the playoffs. You know, they, they you know they blew out Utah in the first game, but it wasn't an impre- like an impressive win. Um, Utah just really played really bad, and it's not like I don't know. It's not like I mean, you look at this at, at this game, and it doesn't look like like you know Harden or Paul are having a great game. You know, I mean, Paul looks like he, I mean, Paul's playing all right, but um, well, James Harden has they have five and seven assists respectively. So they're definitely getting the other guys involved. That's for sure. It looks like. Yeah, and they're both shooting fifty percent. You know. Yeah. All right, Bob. Let's uh, let's go our separate ways and uh, let you go celebrate your your birthday with your with your wife. Hey man, I'm gonna go play me some God of War. Yeah. All right, man. boy. Uh, <laughs> where can we find you on the Twitter machine? You can find me on Twitter at Yo Bobby Buckets. And you can follow me at Brian Stevens KP. That's going to do it for this episode of the All Ballcast. We'll catch you next time. Boy! Just film it. Or deal with me. These scars tell the story. These bars put me in history. Quiet, dog. Homie still is a mystery.